All right. Welcome in. We are at Thursday, and this is the Sports Huddle on CMO ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online at com. Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Jess Bolin inviting you to join us in the huddle. Here is our huddle hotline number, 573-334-1220. The huddle hotline is powered by EBOMD. Coach Brad Korn for SEMO Men's Basketball going to join us around 9.40 today. So we'll catch up with Coach Korn. Uh, and then Tom Davis from SEMO Ball uh, is going to join us tomorrow. He is going to talk about his SEMO Basketball's Program is Broken article. Uh, and you can find that on SEMOBall.com and uh, comment on that as many have. And uh, this reminder that SEMO ESPN wants to know what team you're rooting for this Valentine. You can show us your love for your favorite team and a chance to win a $150 Celebrations gift card. Four tickets to cheer on the Red Hawk men and women's basketball teams on February 22nd. Four tickets to see Mizzou take on Ole Miss on March 2nd. And then four tickets to watch the Grizzlies Battle the L.A. Clippers. Show us your team spirit and upload your photo now for a chance to win. You can just go to our website. Find out all the details, chance to win this nice prize at SEMOESPN.com. Jess Bolin in the house, and uh, you've got company today. Yeah, my beautiful daughter from Texas is here, Michelle, and um, told to bring some beauty to this show. Cause I've been looking at you, and there ain't no beauty no, no. over there. Yeah, that's not not going to work. I've got to go to the dentist today after the show. Ooh, that's not good. I'm uh, I'm I love Bennett Family Dentistry. Oh, and I do too. Ross Bennett. Yeah. I mean, it's a that is the ultimate notch. in uh, technology. Uh, what you, they've got. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a better layout, no, a they, better facility no. than they've got. I don't it. know how you could be better. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just immaculately clean brand new building uh every person in there is top of the line professional i that's where i go and um i couldn't recommend them anymore hey i gotta do something this is for tammy and john in columbia tammy and john in columbia i can see clearly now the rain is gone I can see all obstacles in my way. Now we lost them. <laughs> I'm glad you stopped that because I gut. was I was close to the gag reflux. <laughs> but, my own daughter but you, sh- here you shut it down. down. You shut it down just in time before. I uh, I know we probably lost them now, <laughs> but they do listen to the show in Columbia. Uh, tell me, Kim and Shell's friends. Well, hello to them. So now I lost my daughter's friends. <laughs> we wanted to have nothing to do with her, probably. But anyway, that was a request. Tammy asked me to do that. So when a woman asked you to do something, you know, just like your wife, when she requested me to sing, it's all for comedy, folks. Don't get serious and think that I think I can sing because, Shell, can I sing? Uh, you make a good effort. There's a lot of effort put into it. <laughs> a lot of effort. <laughs> we'll give you an A for effort and F That's for failure. That's what my brother used right? to say all the time. I'll give you E for effort and F for failure. <laughs> but uh, no, just having fun. That's what we do on this show: is talk movies or anything we can. And uh, I'm not. I'm not going to be excited about my cavity count because I'm sure I've got. I don't. Yeah, a I don't cavity or two. Because I, I, I go so long between. Just visits. think of that drill, going right into that oh, tooth man. and everything. So if you want to talk talk about it, we'll talk about it until you. Get well, it. I'll let you know how it went tomorrow. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure you will. And if I've got to get a root canal or something working. Uh, oh, those are nice. Yeah, I may have to. I may have to just end of the tune of about what. Eleven hundred bucks. Who knows? I've got dental insurance, but you know, I do too. But I Thank just God. Y- you don't know what, what what it covers, what it doesn't. Go- we'll see. Anyway, it's just gonna it's gonna be a checkup today, and then uh, if I've 
got uh, a cavity count, then probably uh, they'll schedule it for another time because they are busy, man. Did you ever get your gums scraped? That would be a negatory. You know, they, they clean your teeth, but sometimes they get down there on your gums and scrape them a little. Yeah, I'm gonna. Ha- I would have to <laughs> shut that down if there was gum scraping involved. <laughs> All right, Jess, uh, last night it was interesting because right now it's a slow time in sports, especially for us, because we've got we've got SEMO Athletics. We usually have Blues hockey this time of year, but we don't for 10 days. They're at the All-Star break. Yeah, I know. I wish they'd scheduled that some other time because right now, two weeks to wait for the Super Bowl right. would be a good time to watch a couple of hockey games. And, you know, I'm watching. Have you ever co- been to a real hockey game? Yeah. Uh, I was at uh, a Blues home game years back, and Brett Hull had a hat trick that night. Yeah, they, uh, we had a lot of them. Uh, can you imagine he scored 86 goals one year? <laughs> 86. They only play 82 games. So every game he would get a goal. Who didn't, you know, because some games he'd get a hat trick and whatever. But I think I remember one time against Detroit, I think he had a hat trick in the first period. And he, he just had that, he just sat in that slot, boy, on a power play and get that puck, and he wouldn't one-time it. You know, wouldn't even catch the puck and then shoot. He'd just one-time it and time it perfectly. He was good, very good. Kind of like Alex Ovechkin sits in that slot and yeah, boom. got that bullet shot about 100 miles an hour. They call that slot on the ice Ovechkin's office. Yeah. Yeah. So last night, I'm watching college basketball. And Northwestern loses to Purdue in overtime, 105-96. Now, I want to give you this stat here. This is an overtime game, so they play an extra five minutes. Northwestern, and obviously it's at Purdue. You'll know that when I give you this stat. Northwestern shot eight free throws in the game. Purdue shot 46 free throws (laughs) in the game. And with 1.7 seconds left, Northwestern coach Chris Collins, former Dookie, right, was a terrific (laughs) Blue Devil under Coach K. He got thrown out with 1.7 seconds left for bringing up the free throw disparity. Still did his press conference afterwards, tiptoeing around criticizing the officials. But it's 46 free throw attempts to eight on the road for Northwestern. Here's Collins. I'm not going to go into the officiating. You know, we have great officiating. Um, I just don't know if I've ever seen a, a box score like that, honestly. I've been, you know, you guys, I don't know, you guys have been doing this too. A lot of you guys have been covering. I don't know if you've ever seen a disparity like that in a Big Ten game, um, which is like Purdue. Obviously, we're fouling that much. I mean, I feel like we're aggressive, though, too. You know, I felt like, I mean, Boo Booey doesn't shoot a free throw in the game. That's it's kind of crazy. Um, but that's how the game's called. I mean, I'm not, it's, it's, and you got to live with it. I mean, that's why, that's why I was so proud of my guys. I mean, if you're down 50 at the free throw line and you, take, you have a shot at the buzzer, so, I mean, you almost have to play perfect, you know. And so our guys showed a lot of poise. Obviously, this is a, not many people come in here and win. And there's a reason for that because they have great teams and this crowd is awesome and such a fun environment to play in. And, you know, we just, it's disappointing because, you know, we had our chances. We just couldn't close the deal. So he said everything he wanted to say in a judicious way. He started his statement off with, we've got great officials. This isn't about the officiating. And then went in to tell you why it was about the officiating. And he just said, I don't think I've ever been involved in something like this. So, in other words, he didn't say enough there to where he's going to get fined or he's going to get reprimanded by the Big Ten uh, or by the Northwestern athletic director. But he got his message out. Would you agree? Yes, he did. And, you know, I I got a problem with – you know how I feel about officials. I think they're right probably 97% of the time. But – to be never be able to say anything, criticize anybody unless you're going to get fired or get a fine or get a suspension, I don't buy into that. I mean, for instance, if a guy calls a team for 47 free throws and you get eight or whatever it was, 
do you not have the right to ask the official after the game, do you think you called a good game? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that's exactly what he said when the referee <laughs> threw him out with 1.7 yeah. seconds left. Yeah. But, I mean, you're getting your point across, and you're just asking a question. You're not raising your voice, but do you think that oh, he called a good he, game? He raised his voice. Well, I probably would, too, <laughs> in that situation. That, that's a question I think we got to throw at Brad Korn. How much discussion goes on on the sideline about, you know, they've shot 27 free throws and we've shot four. Yeah, I you think know we, you've called us for 10 fouls, you've called them for two. How often does that conversation take place on a college sideline? I think he'll tell you, and I'm just not speaking for him, but I think uh, this is probably close to right. You can say a lot as the game is flowing, but to get in a timeout or something and you want to really get into it with a referee, I don't think they put up with that, you know, Um you could personalize it a little bit. You know, during the heat of the game, any official, I mean, any official. I don't coach, think you're going to get it thrown out for, look at the foul count, please. Yeah, would yeah. You, would, no, could you, you can, take, you take a look exactly. at it for me? But if you do that on a one-on-one, then he's going to get upset quick. You know, if there's a timeout and then your whole timeout, you want to talk to this referee. I mean, they do sometimes, but most of the time I think it's a, it's about a, uh, uh, the play, you know, like somebody sets a pick and uh, uh, the referee calls an illegal pick and stuff like this. Probably where was the problem? You know, this and that. But, you know, he, glad you got him on because he can answer those questions a lot better than I can. But I know in baseball, <laughs> you know how it is in the dugout. <laughs> that umpire can't do anything right. One side is on him. When they're batting, and the other side is on him. Would you know? But uh, they they're used to that. Uh, you know, people that do games all the time. But um, I never did really go into that much as far as during game yelling at umps and criticizing umps and arguing. Um, I think I got thrown out of four games in my life, but. Uh, the well, best, you shouldn't have let your hat hit the ground. Yeah, the you, best you, one was yeah. Wichita. Yeah, that was a good one. And um, I, I, I kind of meant to get kicked out. I was fed up, and you know how it is. <laughs> like you were the other day, ranting. Uh, I, I wanted to say my piece, and he wasn't going to listen. So, uh, Did oh, you ever feel in 50 years that there was something personal with an umpire? That, I, yeah. that they had something, they had it. You felt whether it was right or wrong. One time. That maybe the dude had it out for you. He he, he didn't like you or he didn't like your team or he didn't like one of your one players. In, and so he didn't call it right down the line. In 50 years and a couple thousand games, this was just one game that I thought that. But the reason why is because of the statement he made before the game. There's no way I will mention his name. But he said to a friend of mine... The Caps are not going to win today. And then he was behind the plate. So that, well, he didn't either. <laughs> and my players were coming back to the dugout continually talking about strike zone, you know. So that that's the only time, one time. But, you don't, you know, he shouldn't have made that statement. Did you, did you tell your guys, listen, we're not going to get a call. Swing early in the count. Yes, I did. I <laughs> said, don't go up there what going to work the count because that's going to be not in your favor. But just you know, it's it's a shame that an umpire makes that statement. You should never make a statement like that, especially if you're doing the play because you got control of the game, buddy, back there. You know, you you get the base load or something, and he punches you out on a pitch that's eight inches off the plate. You don't have any recourse except get thrown out. You know, but the only once that only happened one time, so that's not bad in two thousand games. No, not bad at all. And, you know, unbelievably, there have been a couple of times where I am press row broadcasting. Officials come out after halftime. And there have been a couple of times where a ref, hey, you got a stat sheet? Yeah. What for? If you don't think they keep an eye on that foul count, and if you ever see a game where it starts to get out of hand in the second half and the foul count is heavily one-sided, all of a sudden you start seeing what you perceive as, 
okay, now we're getting makeup calls. They're even in the foul count out. Now they weren't calling fouls on the home team. Now they are. So the foul count's going to not be 46 to 8. Yeah. I, I can't ask, prove it. That's my theory. Asking for a stat sheet makes my eyebrows go up immediately. What for? You're calling the game. You should call the game. Right. What are you worried about the stats? Yeah. For? I've had umpires ask me, what's the score? And I said, what do you need to know? <laughs> when I, nine innings are done, you'll know who lost. You know, they, I I just, the reason why is because you're, people will say to you, he missed the call and he made it up there. No, you can never make up a call. And you do, when you do, try to do that as an official, you just made two mistakes. You made the first one, then the make it up, make up call. That's not going to But make no another. mistake in college basketball, there are make up calls. I know. They are. They certainly are. But that's two mistakes when you do that. Also, another one of my peeves, and the officials will flat out tell you this never happens. And I flat out tell you it does happen. Guy goes in, gal, guy, women's game, men's game, whatever. Goes in to take a shot, highly contested. No whistle. Puts the shot up, rattles around on the rim, and falls off. Then the whistle. Had the had the ball gone in, likely there's not going to be a whistle. It's so late if you don't think sometimes they wait to see if that ball goes in or whether or not they're going to blow their whistle, you just haven't watched a lot of basketball. Now, they say that they don't. I can't prove it, but that's my theory well, on you know that. What they would tell you, I'm waiting for the continuation of the play to end, and then I'll blow the whistle one way or the other. That's what they would tell you. I mean, I've seen so many plays where the whistle is so late, and I understand if it's a foul, it's a foul, no matter when the whistle blows. But well, I've had plays. It's you, suspicious. You've seen this in baseball a lot, where you got the steal on, and the call, umpire's calling him out, and the guy in the second hasn't he caught the ball yet, and, or made the tag or anything, you know. And and I, I kind of didn't like that. That uh, he made the call, the guy hasn't even swiped the tag yet, and I've had that happen lots of times because they anticipate the throw has got him beat. And an official can never anticipate something. You know, that's why I got out of That umpire. stuff got erased in Major League Baseball because of replay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because how many times you see the ball beat the guy, but he slid under the tag, he's still out. Right. Well, with replay now, that doesn't happen. I think the replay has shown you really how good officiating is, uh, especially in baseball. I, I'm amazed sometimes. I'll say, oh, he was out. And then you see the replay. And how many times that they're right and you're wrong? Or check swing. That's one of the hardest things to call in baseball. Speaking of replay in baseball, Jess, they have now officially installed all of the replay equipment at Kapaha Park because the OVC will have replay this year. Some of the bigger conferences have had it for several years. And, you know, when SEMO goes and plays Mizzou or they play an SEC school, You'll, they'll they'll stop the game and go look at replay in those bigger conferences. Well, the OVC's on board now. We will have replay, and they have installed the pitch clocks at Kapahaw Field. Now, as well. that's one thing I was going to ask you. If yes, they, did they that are installed as we that, as we speak. That's the way it is in Wichita, and they got one in right center, and they got one behind the plate. Uh, Wichita, you know that the pitcher can that's, see. That's the way it is. How much at time he's got. I think it's to the left of the hitter's eye. I think it's to the yeah. left of the hitter's eye at Capitol. Yeah, it's it's the way it's got to be. You know, to right center or left center, either place is fine. Um, and you want it in the middle of the park because you don't want a batter having to look, turn his head and look all down the left field line for it, you know. So, and you don't want a pitcher having to do that. He can, but you've was, got one over behind home plate. That will speed up games at Seymour. Because yep. remember, you and I talk about oh, it's a it's a three-hour game. Every game, nine innings, three hours. Now they did, they did have some games last year, if you remember that was two hours and fifteen minutes, that kind of thing, two hours. And um, boy, it's a much better broadcast and everything when a game goes along crisply. You know what? Uh, you know what helps a game move more crisply as well? 
eating while the game's going on? Call freaking strikes. It'll go yeah. quicker. It'll yeah. go quicker. Um, did you see that Justin Turner signed with the Toronto Blue Jays? No, I did not. Jess, he is 39 years old, okay? Listen to what he did last year with Boston. You know, longtime Dodger. Actually came up with the Mets. The Mets let him yeah. get away. Justin Turner, who is a fabulous, fabulous hitter, at 39 years old, just hit 276, 23 bombs, and a career-high 96 RBIs at 39 and an 800 OPS. Now, when you get to be that old in baseball and it's non-steroid, you're in the non-steroid era and steroids are not involved, 39-year-olds, Jess, normally don't do that 96 RBI. No. And, well, in baseball, the last thing to go is your hitting ability. You know, Some guys' ability to catch up with a fastball. Like, I'll just say Matt Carpenter. At the end, when he was here, his bat, he just didn't have the same bat speed. He could, he could be overmatched by heat. But those numbers you just read on Turner would be great numbers if you were 25 years old. Yeah. I mean, they're great numbers for anybody in the big leagues. You know what I always say? A 270 hitter in the major leagues is an unbelievably good hitter. Uh, you got to take in the skill of the defense, the the strike zone, and everything else. And to hit 276 in the major leagues, you're a good hitter, very good hitter. Well, I talked about it several times last year during the season. There are like four or five guys that hit over 300 with enough plate appearances uh, to qualify for the hitting lead in each league. You just don't see 300 hitters. No. In you Major know, League Baseball. I think that kind of went anymore. the way of uh, the the loft angle on swings and everybody talking about home runs a lot. And um, I think that kind of last decade has been a home run decade. That That's the main thing. They don't and care. you get a few guys who aren't concerned about the home runs and do hit for high averages. And I submit to you, Luis Arise yeah. is one of those guys. Yeah. He knows he's not a home run hitter, but he's going to hit 350. Exactly. And, and you know, I'll talk all the time about uh, a coach recognizing what kind of team he's got. So you got to play to the skills of your team. If you, in other words, if you've got speed and quickness and a couple good rebounders, you can be a fast-break team in basketball. Because you can assume you're going to get a lot of defensive rebounds and the outlet pass, and you got a couple scat backs, as my brother used to call them, that can just flat leave a blur. They're so fast. So you play to that skills. If you're at baseball, like if you're a home run hitting team, you remember the Orioles when Weaver used to play for the three run homer? It kind of got that label. It's it's okay. if you got a speed team like Whitey Herzog, you know he put it together. A, speed so that's your game and those two guys who manage at the same time earl weaver in baltimore the white rat in kansas city and st louis herzog how many times did you see the cardinals bunt and earl weaver you could not pay him to bunt no it was home run the three-run homer he did not believe in the sacrifice, but two guys managing in the same in the same league, different philosophies. Yeah, but same win. Both of them winners. Yeah, you know. So it's uh, coaching is so much more than just making out a lineup and then yelling at the ref for the hump and and you know this and that. It's so much goes more goes into it. And Coach Corn, I think, can explain that to you probably as well better than I can. Uh, it's uh. And Whitey, I remember when Whitey Herzog took over and he became GM, he traded away Keith Hernandez. He traded away Ted Simmons. Those guys were really popular in St. Louis, but he wanted more speed. And he had in mind what kind of team he wanted. And he turned out to be a world champion in 82. So It wasn't all speed, though. No, they had Jack Clark. On, this, on this day, this day. February 1st, 1985, 
the Cardinals acquired Jack Clark in a trade with the San Francisco Giants. Yep. They, and, you know, when you got a, that, just he just fit the Cardinals because you had so much speed. There was runners on bases all the time. And then you got the big thumper right in the middle of those guys. I mean, it crashed 35 home runs. And uh, the Dodgers remember Jack Clark for sure. Uh, but it's just coaching is just trying to understand your team and try to understand which athlete is where's his, his skill points. You know, what can he do really well and exploit those things and try to mesh it with other people with different skill sets, maybe like uh, like on SEMO, for instance. Ursher's got a, a good reputation as a good defensive player. So if you've got another guy that's really offense, I mean, that's his game, those guys may be well doing well on the court together, you know, at the same time. And, and one, you know, Ursher's job is to shut down the lead score of the other team and and Beal or whoever you got in there that's an offensive guy does his job. So it's I uh, I'm like I said I'm glad Coach Carnes on the show and he can explain some of these things. But I think he will agree with me on most of them. So 39 years ago today, Jack Clark was traded to the Cardinals. And in case you don't remember from 39 years ago, here's how the Cardinals got it. They traded shortstop Jose Uribe, pitcher Dave LaPointe, first baseman outfielders David Green and Gary Rosich. And remember, with the Giants, he was an outfielder. Yeah, right fielder with a great arm. And they, Herzog moved him to first base to avoid injury. And, of course... If you remember Jack Clark for anything, you you should remember him for this in Game 6 of the 1985 National League Championship Series just days after Tom Niedenfuhrer gave up the go-crazy folks home run to Ozzie Smith. Jack Clark faced Tom Niedenfuhrer himself. In the dugout. Do I walk in and pitch to that so-and-so? He's not going to walk him. It is Jack Clark and Tom Needenfuhr going head-to-head, and the ball game on the line, and the crowd on its feet. One way or another, what a way to end. And he hits one to deep left field, and that one is gone. Wasn't Andy Vance Slyke on there? Yes. Uh, and he had a base. And he didn't want to pitch to Vance Slyke, oh, apparently. Oh, I would have. He could have walked Clark. Now, the great Jack Buck call, I couldn't find it. But when Clark connected, he said, adios, goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. It was a three-run homer. And yeah, cause Dodgers, Pedro, Guerrero, Pedro Guerrero's in left field, throws his glove down on yeah. the grass after Needenfury gave up the home run. And also, and you can find it on YouTube, Jess, Jack Clark pimped that home run. That was the longest <sighs> jog around the bases in baseball history as he wanted to stick it to the Dodgers. Yeah, and you know, you stole my line about Pedro Guerrero. I've seen that scene uh, so many times. And when I saw it live... And uh, I saw the ball going out of the park. Everybody knew it was a homer just as soon as he touched it off. And Pedro Guerrero in left field turns to the fence and slams his glove down on the ground like the bad news bears. And I remember laughing so hard because of the of the scene of the ball going out of the park and him just flat knowing that's probably the game. The Dodgers did get the bad. I mean, the Cardinals were the visiting team. But that was so devastating that, I mean, it's hard to recover from that and why, for one thing, Needenfuhr was in there in game situation, two games in a row. Why would you pitch to him? The one guy in the Cardinal lineup 
really. I mean, Slack's a good hitter, but he was more of a line drive hitter than Clark. Clark's all or nothing, buddy. He's stuck and, out or And gone. it wasn't a second guess by Vin Scully. No. They talked about You heard him talk about Joe Garagiola was with him on the broadcast, and they talked about they're, they're thinking about, are you going to pitch to him? Are you going to walk him? And he said he read lips, and he said, not going to pitch to that blankety-blank Van Slyke. Yeah. I've heard Van Slyke interviewed about that Well, about Van that Slyke before. was a good hitter. He, you know, it wasn't like he was an out. I mean, he, he was, was an all-star. Gold Glover. But he, Jack yeah. Clark, uh, you know. Just Clark's an aircraft carrier in the middle of that lineup. <laughs> you better believe it. I, I just always made a. Uh, uh, had a feeling that when there's a base open, say, I remember one game that was playing O.B. Clark out of St. Louis, and boy, they were just as good as us or better. And uh, they had two, three, four slot hitters that were just, you just had a hard time getting them out. And if you did, it'd be a bullet to the shortstop, you know, that kind of thing. They come up in a situation where I had a base open, but one of them is going to bat. You know, you can't help it. So I always felt like I'll put one on out of those two. I'm not going to face both of them. And it just when you get in a situation like that, that's why you want a good hitter backing up a slugger. Like uh, Goldsmith, you want a good hitter behind him or Arnado to make them pitch to him. But they didn't have to pitch to Jack Clark. And that cost them. Now, Van Slyke could have easily got up there and hit a gap shot, cleaned the bases. Did you see where that ball landed, though? Yeah. He freaking crushed <laughs> know. that ball. And he was a, he was a, wasn't a giant of a guy, but he was probably 6'1", 6'2", like 220. And there wasn't any fat on him. So when he crushed the ball, you knew, well, you knew it was gone as soon as he hit it. There wasn't any doubt. And, um, But that was a good team, 85 team. Clark was listed at 6'2", 175 on baseball reference. That may have been his rookie year. No, his no... rookie year. Because if you, okay. That was high school if you, weight. Right. If you used to collect baseball cards, okay, and you and I did, collect baseball cards, when you would see a guy's rookie card, there would be height and weight on that. And say the guy played 18 years, and you have his final year card, the the height and weight are the same as the rookie year. They don't change it. No, they don't. Um, but the 175, I mean, he, he, he's he got a couple legs he left to put on the scales because he had huge legs, Jack Clark. And uh, yeah, he had... Uh, he had one of the great baseball nicknames, the Ripper. Yeah, the Ripper. Tell me, that's not a good baseball name for a hitter. Well, the Cardinals had a guy named Rip Ripolsky. Jack the Ripper. Clark. And uh, you want to see what uh, Coach Corn has to say about it? Absolutely. Bring right. it on. Red Hawks basketball coach Brad Corn will join us on the other side. You are locked into the Sports Huddle. On SEMO ESPN. 942, you're listening to the Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM. And, of course, you can always find us online at SEMOESPN.com. Jess Bolin, Eric Sean, and now we welcome in on the EBOMD Huddle Hotline, Red Hawk men's basketball coach, Brad Corn, how are things this morning, Coach? Uh, things are good. Things are good, Eric. Sun is out. February first, twenty twenty four. Brand new month. Um, you know, things can always be better. Things can always be worse. So it's somewhere in the middle, and uh, today's a great day for us to get better. So, well, Coach Corn, I uh, I'm here. I just wanted to let you know I'm here. So when Eric takes over, it's hard for me to say anything. Okay. <laughs> hey, I understand, Jess. I've been I've been married for long enough now. We're, we're good on that. One. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's hope Let's hope uh, Mrs. Corn is not listening to this show and that comment uh, coming from the head yeah. coach. You're in trouble before you get off the air. So a three game yeah, home. I might as well just stay right where I'm at, Jess. <laughs> That's par for the course. 
So you got a three-game homestand uh, coming up, Coach. So some home cooking. Uh, you've got Western Illinois coming in on Saturday, doubleheader, women at one thirty, men at 345. Uh, right now you are toward the bottom of the OVC standings, and we are at the midway point. How surprised are you at where your squad sits right now in the standings? Yeah, um, of course you're not where you want to be unless you're in first place and end up finishing in first place as a coach and as a program, you're never where you want to be. Um, that's what makes each game each week exciting to see what you can become. So of course, disappointed with where we're at. Uh, and I don't think anybody uh, from a fan base, from an administration, from a locker room, from a coach's office standpoint is, is pleased. And of course you thought you were going to be better uh, record wise uh, than, than we are. Uh, all that said, I thought we would have been better and you can't predict everything that, that happens throughout the course of the season. But also, again, that's why I opened with it's February 1st. It's 2024. I've never been alive on this day before, and, and we have a whole other month of basketball to go. So let's, let's put our head down. Let's get to work and see what we can become and be at the, at the beginning of March on that last road swing at Moorhead at USI and, and see where we're at it as it relates to the OVC tournament. So nothing's ever going to go as, as it's planned. Nothing is, is ever as bad as it seems, and nothing is ever as good as it seems either. So a lot of basketball left to be played, but uh, of course gave some games away. I thought we'd been a little bit more competitive in a couple of those, but uh, I also didn't think that we'd have to deal with some injuries that we've had to deal with to this point and or transfers and portal and everything else that goes into it. So uh, you are what you are at this point, and that doesn't mean that um, you can't become something better than where you're currently at and or it doesn't mean if you were doing everything well, that you just get to coast the last month of the season either. So it's a, it's a never-ending process. But uh, to answer your question, yes, I thought we would be better at this point, but uh, still a lot of basketball left to be played. Coach, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you agree with this theory or not, but when I was coaching and we were struggling, and I knew I had better talent than what we were getting on the field, I remember out in Wichita one time I, I told the guys, I said, look, Let's try to just improve from here on. Forget about the games in the past and completely dedicate yourself to improving your game every game. And I think this team has got enough natural talent on it uh, to be a pretty good tournament team by the time the season ends. But the mental side of a record, sometimes guys think about that too much and you know it affects your next game. Yeah, no doubt, Jess. And I think, too, you know, heading into the Lindenwood game, um, we just talked about our whole prep and practice, really, heading into um, uh, whoever it was we played before uh, before Lindenwood. It was Little, Little Rock. Guys just, Little Rock. Little Rock. It was just like, hey, let's just continue to become that team that nobody wants to see come March. You know, throw the records out the window, throw the stats out the window, like you said, Jess. Let's just let's be that team that nobody wants to play. Uh, one, because we have experience. We're five and two in OVC conference play since I've been here. So, uh, tournament conference tournament play. So, let, let's be. Let's work towards that. You know, let's let, let's shorten some some short sighted. Uh, goals. Let's get rid of the long-term goals. Let's let's focus in on what we can control and what we can do is be the best team uh, come Saturday against Western Illinois, where we've been competitive. You know, that's the that's the thing. I think as you talk about the talent and the roster, and and we've been competitive. We 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 fought in some games. Of course, we Martin was uh, the score got away from the game, got away from us. But um, you know, we've put ourselves in good positions with these teams that we have coming up the second time around, and now we've got to be able to. Uh, to produce a little bit more and be a little bit more consistent in those moments uh, to where the game gets won and lost uh, with five minutes to go, with two minutes to go, uh, and be able to capitalize in those in those moments. So uh, these guys, this team, this group has, has practiced well. They've kept a good attitude. They keep being resilient and bouncing back. Um, and so now we just got to get a little bit of luck, and you create a little bit of your own luck uh, in, in those games with some defensive efforts and rebounds and taking care of the basketball. So the – the the, uh, the fundamentals of the game don't ever change, and you can't ever stop working on those. And I think if we focus on those things and keep a great attitude and keep working hard, again, a lot of basketball left to be played and a lot of season left to be determined. You know, and, uh, Coach, it's, sometimes it's hard to get a team motivated. or, or when, For instance, if it wasn't going to be in the tournament at the end of the year, to try to motivate a team when they know there's no ending that's going to be good. But in not, that's not the case with you guys because you're going to be in the tournament at the end of the season and how much you can – there's always a big goal when you got that in the future. And so I, 
I think, uh, like I said before, at the end of the season, you still got a chance to erase everything that went bad if if you mesh and finally get together. Yeah, and um, you know, and we we just got to be a little bit more consistent. And unfortunately, we put ourselves in a little bit of a hole here early, and now you got to fight and dig your way out of it. It's a that's why I was telling Eric after the game against Lindenwood. It's just a, it's why you coach. That's why it's a it's a hard but a rewarding profession because you, when your back's up against the wall, you find out what's what you're really about, you know. And, and that's the great thing about basketball and, and being a part of a team sport too is that you got you got to be able to, to lean on other people and to pull you up out of that as well. So uh, that's the exciting part about it. That's the optimism that will carry on because if you don't have optimism, you don't have hope. What do you really have? Red Hawks basketball coach Brad Corn, our guest this morning. On the sports subtle, this is your fourth season, and in previous years, you have been at near the top of the OVC in terms of offense, scoring offense, shooting three-point yeah. baskets. Uh, you had to replace five starters. You have no starters back. Now, Quan Smart started 25 games last year, but he wasn't a full-time starter and was injured in the OVC tournament and couldn't help you uh, in terms of uh, trying to win the tournament. So... You're replacing five guys. Going into the season, did you think that you would rank at the bottom in some of these offensive categories? Scoring, field goal percentage, three-point shooting percentage. Is that a surprise to you? Yeah, it is. Uh, it really is. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised as well that our assist numbers are low. But, of course, if you're not making shots, it's hard to get an assist. Uh, so it kind of all compounds on itself. I'm, I'm shocked at that. Uh, we've tried to tweak some things. We've tried to change some things. And, again, every team is different. So it wasn't like we just did everything that we did a year ago and you're just going to keep getting the same results because you have different players and different strengths and different weaknesses. So we've tried to adjust and change, and that's kind of the dichotomy of our team as it relates to transition offense, too. It's We are fast, but if we're going to have 18 turnovers – then we can't play fast, but we need to play fast in order to create other scoring opportunities to use one of our strengths. So it's it's always this yin and yang push pull that you're fighting uh, to to try to find that uh, that balance. And you know, for for guys that aren't shooting the ball well from the outside, I thought we'd do a better job of shooting from the outside. So now it's that old theory too: get a layup, get a free throw. Now maybe your confidence grows from three point line. So again, going back to the transition piece of it really trying to get out in transition. But at the same time, if we can't handle that and we're turning the basketball over, then we got to slow it down. Well, now you slow it down and you can't shoot, and teams are packing the lane on you. And one of your best players is Josh Early scoring on the low block. You know, now the game just becomes that much harder and, and your possessions get magnified and the efficiency has to go through the roof when you're playing a half-court game. So we're kind of caught in between all of that. And I thought guys like Evan Ursher, uh, BJ, B.J. Ward hasn't shot it well. Um, other guys haven't shot it particularly well, but if they're in the gym, can really shoot. So a little bit of it is is um, being available on time, on target. So when you do get that opportunity, you're ready to shoot. And we just have never had two guys get on the same page, it feels like, this year offensively. And so if we can get a couple guys going on the same page, and the things that we do, the strategy that we have has been proven to work in the past, and I think it continue to work in the future, we just haven't had that success or that continuity just yet. And, you know, I did want to point out, yes, Dylan Branson was a starter last year, uh, but he's hurt. So you don't have starters back. He's only started three games this year, and he's hurt again. Uh, so yeah. let, let me ask you this. I mean, oh, go ahead. I just You look at it, like going into it, you try to put together the roster, Eric, and that doesn't just happen like when the season starts, of course. that's It's kind of like scheduling. You're forecasting out. You're trying to plan ahead. So, you know, this year's starters were really supposed to be Phil, Aquan, Dylan, Kobe, and Josh. And you really only have two of those guys starting for you. And so um, when you put the roster together, when you take high school kids early like BJ and Marquez, it's in the thought process of, okay, well, here's our starting seniors. You know, all those guys would have been seniors this year. And you don't you're not, you go from starting five seniors to only starting two. That's a big deal for our, our level and our group. Um, and that's not an excuse. That's the reality. And so now everybody else has just kind of got to step up and, and – maybe uh, playing some roles and some bigger roles that they might not have quite been ready for. And so then that affects performance as well. Yeah, Kobe Clark uh, only played in three games before the season-ending uh, surgery, average six rebounds. You know what you're going to get rebounding in defense from Kobe Clark. How did it affect your program, not only that Philip Russell transferred, 
but how late in the process he transferred? Well, you know what? Actually, honestly, he, he transferred pretty early in the in the process. You know, we lost in the NCAA tournament game, and then that next Monday is when he came in my office. So there really wasn't a whole lot of time in there. Um, he did it right away, which I appreciated from him. You know, the things that he wanted from, from us and, and what guys could get and what the market was potentially for a transfer, um, I can't argue with. And I don't – I mean, I still talk to D.T. Nicholas. I still talk to uh, guys that have left our program, Eric Reed. I was on FaceTime with Coach Madon and Phil uh, last week. You know, so I don't have animosity towards guys leaving. You come here, you do what you're supposed to do, you play. Um, if there's certain things that you want that I can't give you, I, you know, I'm not going to have animosity towards that. And if you can go get that, then by all means, go get that. So I don't, I don't like the transfer. I don't like the NIL. I don't like that space personally. But at the same time, I'm not going to act um, naive towards it either. So, uh, but when you think about Phil, he's probably going to be the, the preseason player of the year coming into this um, uh, season. He's going to be Seymour's all-time leading scorer at the end of the season. He's going to graduate. Uh, so, again, that's a huge hole to fill. And when you have a really, really good player like that, uh, you know, and we talk about the technicals and all that and, and whatever, Phil's a great player. You know, I think that's one thing Phil didn't get enough credit for was how good of a basketball player he was. Yes, he could score the ball. Yes, he could make shots. Yes, he got to the foul line. But he got off the ball, and he was just a really good, savvy basketball player. Uh, and so when you take that off the board – um, and then again, that's why we took Marquez Bell. That's why we took B.J. Ward, uh, because we knew anybody coming in was never going to play over Philip Russell. So now going into the portal for our level and for what we have, especially in the NIL space and area and arena that we're in right now, to go get 18 and 6 again right out of the portal, ready-made as a senior, that's a, that's a tough thing to go find and get um, right away at that position based upon the other people that we had as well. So... Um, it just it, it hurts from from that standpoint. I don't I don't fault the the, the young man for doing that, uh, but at the same time, it does it does for the first time kind of caught up with us because then I try to build the program back again through the portal by taking sophomores and Rob Martin and Braxton Stack and T.J. Beal, uh, those types of guys, and uh, those are the right kind of guys. I really like those guys, but those guys are also freshmen and they're they're. They haven't played a whole lot of college basketball. So did I make some mistakes there? Maybe from a class standpoint, but I didn't make a mistake as far as it relates to a player, their families, and their potential of what the future can be. So I'm excited about that. It's just kind of showing its head a little bit this season when we get stuck in, in certain places. So we're going to have SEMO uh, Ball's Tom Davis on tomorrow to talk about uh, the column that he wrote, SEMO Basketball is Broken. Um, but – Inside of his article, Coach, he goes specific with young men that are Division One caliber high school players in the area. Anybody that goes to high school games, certain high school games, they have seen you. They have seen your assistant coaches. How invested are you, even with the portal? Because it's easier to go and get an experienced guy than to get a freshman and go through all of that. Basketball is different now with the portal. How invested are you in local talent? Well, it's like you said, Eric. We've we've been out there. Um, now, are we perfect? Uh, do I? Are we all the best super recruiters of all time? You know, I don't. I don't know. But I know I've been into a lot of gyms. Uh, I know we have open conversations. I know people have been in our gym. I know certain prospects have been in our locker room. They've been to games. Uh, certain prospects that have gone on to other schools and or other um, junior colleges and and other places like that have been into our locker room after games this season and prior seasons. Um, So you can't make somebody do something that they don't want to do. Um, um, We've made it known to particular players in the area that you have an offer from SEMO men's basketball. Now, whether or not those players see themselves coming to SEMO, I, I don't know. Uh, what, what we have to do is continue to, to push our message and continue to push why it's a good decision to come here, why it's a good decision that you should come to SEMO and want to be um, a marquee, quote-unquote, player because you're from the area and, and sell that. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of things that go into that and a lot of factors that go into that. Just because it's something I want, it may not be something that that particular player wants. And so, uh, But to say or to, to insinuate that maybe we are or aren't doing our job I think is a little bit um, – short-sighted uh, because we have done 
Uh, we've done a good job. There's been only one, uh, one occasion, there's been one particular player, Eric, that I can tell you that I personally have not had a conversation with or did not personally recruit uh, because based upon our scholarship situation, heading into this season, for instance, we have one scholarship available, and that's Josh Early. So what you're not going to do as a coach is tell a young man in the area, hey, man, why don't you wait, even though you have these other schools recruiting you, because I'm losing Josh Early, so I've to have a, I got to get a center for my next season. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job and, and everything I'm supposed to do. Hey, young man, why don't you wait around for me? Let me see who's good on my team so I can kick them off in order to get you on scholarship here at SEMO. You know, that just does, that's not realistic, and that's not fair to that young man or his family. If young, if young people go and find an opportunity or a school sees something in them and they recruit them, it's fair game. It's open season. Uh, so to, to say that a young person should have to come to SEMO just because they're from the area is not right, just to say that a young person didn't come to our place because we're at SEMO, we didn't do our job, I don't think that's, not, I don't think that's right either. So a lot of things got to go right, and you're only dealing with 13 scholarships. You only get 13 scholarships, and if you have people on scholarship at particular positions, you may not be in a situation year to year to take a particular player. That doesn't mean that we don't think that that player is good. And that doesn't mean that that player doesn't think that Seymour's good. It just didn't work out in that situation. And there's been other situations where we have, we have offered guy scholarships, and they've been their only Division One scholarships, and they still have chose not to come to Seymour. So the question then is not if the kid is good enough, not if Seymour is good enough. Why don't you think that Seymour is good enough for you? And we've got to find that answer out. Coach Brad Korn, Red Hawk men's basketball coach, our guest this morning. How often – you've been on the recruiting trail a long time, way before you got – your first head coaching gig here in Cape Girardeau. How many times do you run across athletes? You're, you're recruiting a local player in whatever market you're coaching in at the time. Uh, when you were at SIU, when you were at Missouri State, when you were at uh, Kansas State. And, man, it just seemed like no matter what, they weren't coming there because as a young person, they wanted to leave home. They wanted to, to spread their wings and go someplace uh, other than their home area. And it doesn't just happen with with, uh, with athletes, college kids, high school kids. A lot of them want to go away from home. How often have you seen that factor in in recruiting? You know, quite a bit. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm living proof of that. You know, Northern Illinois University recruited me hard out of high school. It was 35 minutes from my, from my house door to door where I grew up. And my mom, my mom wanted me to go to Northern Illinois so her baby could stay close to home. Um, and I, I, me personally, making my own decisions as a young person and think I got everything figured out as a 17 year old, I wanted to get as far away from, from home as possible. I wanted to get away from my high school friends. I wanted to go see something else. So I think you see it quite a bit, uh, Eric. And I think that's what some can be positive about the portal is it. And again, going back to what I was saying earlier about how certain roster depth chart situations may happen year to year. You may be able to get a local kid to come back after he went somewhere else and, and thought, man, I really, I'd like to go back home. So, um, but you see it a lot. I saw it a lot at K-State. A lot of Kansas City kids didn't want to go to K-State unless there was a family connection there. Um, you know, and if they were the kind of kid that we thought we needed to compete in the Big 12, a lot of Kansas City kids would end up going to Kansas, like Christian Brown. You know, Christian Brown, Brown, however you want to say his name, who's now with the Denver Nuggets. We tried really, really hard to get him. Uh, but at the end of the day, Kansas came in, offered him, and then he's a Kansas City kid and ultimately wanted to go to Kansas. So every now and again, you will see these outlier situations. Dean Wade, for us, was from St. John, Kansas. His dad played football at K-State and Western Illinois. St. John, Kansas, middle of, of nowhere, Kansas. He decides to go to K-State, and that really helped change our program around. So, um, But there's a lot of kids. Barry Brown on that K-State team is from Tampa, St. Peter's, Tampa, Florida area. There's a ton of schools in Florida. He goes all the way to K-State. So the world has gotten really, really small, especially on the athletic side. And the kids don't necessarily want to stay home unless they really can see themselves being that kind of person and that kind of guy. And it's hard for a freshman. I don't care where you go or what you do. It's hard for a freshman to come in and produce right away, whether that's at SEMO or K-State. So in the Tom Davis article on SEMO ball, he had uh, suggestions about NIL and uh, getting you know money people in the same room with you in the same room with uh, the president of the university talking about name image and likeness we know that it is a big deal especially in the bigger programs how much 
is SEMO involved in NIL, and how much do you think that potential boosters of the program can help get involved in NIL? I think that there are people around town that are interested and just don't know enough about it. I think the thing that you have to keep in mind is when you're talking about NIL, you literally are asking somebody else for their money. And so you have to have a plan in place and a reason why you're going to ask somebody for their money, and then they have to know why and what their money is going for and to. Also, I'm giving you my money, and I don't necessarily align or believe in that I should be paying a player to come to SEMO to play basketball. I understand that as well. So it's an interesting space. It's a space that we are now getting involved in. Uh, We're, quite frankly, behind in the men's basketball side, at least. I can't speak for any other sports or for the university. Uh, But on the men's side, we're we're behind, and we've tried to do some things over the last couple of years uh, to try to get involved in that space. But, of course, just like anything else that requires finances and monies and dollars, that's a hard space to get into. Um, But the conversation starting, the conversation going around town, I think there's people here in the community that, that want to help and want to know how to help and now us as an athletic department, us as men's bas- basketball specifically, have to do a good job and a better job of, of explaining and educating uh, those people in the community for what it looks like for us and what it looks like for them as well. You know, Jess and I were talking earlier in the show about conversations that take place mm-hmm. on college basketball sidelines. Last night, Northwestern loses in overtime at Purdue. Mm-hmm. Chris Collins gets ejected with 1.7 seconds left in overtime and then addressed in his post-game press conference the free throw disparity. And he did it in such a way that he praised the officials first, talked about he doesn't think he's ever seen a free throw disparity uh, in his life like this. Purdue shot 46 free throws. Northwestern shot eight at Mackey. And he said, I don't know that I've ever seen a Big Ten box score like that with the free throw disparity as wide as it is. I wanted to ask you, on the sideline, how often do conversations take place? Hey, you do see the foul count here, right? Hey, you you know that they've shot 38 free throws, we've shot five. How often does that conversation take place on a college basketball sideline? Well, it, it took place with me personally. I mean, I saw the game last night. I was watching that, and I, I thought it was um, sometimes as a frustrated coach. I, I appreciated what the way that Coach Collins uh, did that. The game, for all intents and purposes, was over, so he kind of got his shots in because, again, it seems that everybody else is accountable on a lot of different fronts from players to coaches and administrators and, and everything. So um, I did watch that and did see that. I did not see his postgame remarks. But it happened Saturday uh, against Edwardsville. Uh, here at our place, you know, I think the foul count was like nine to one or ten to one. And sometimes I, myself, I get frustrated and you get caught up in the moment. And it's not the referee's fault. These guys are human beings out there trying to make a living on it. They're trying to do good work, uh, but at the same time, as a coach, you have to stand up for your players too. At some point, otherwise the game gets out of control. So I did have that specific conversation with one official on Saturday and just said, "Hey, what what do we? You know, you got to see." I just try to portray to them and ask them questions like, "Hey, you see where I'm coming from, right, Mister Official? Like, I'm looking at this like it's ten to one foul count, and it's a very physical basketball game. So I'm just trying to tell. How do I tell my guys in this next time out how to adjust? Um, so what is your viewpoint from how we're playing compared to how the other team is playing? And so to really just kind of ask questions that way to be able to take the information back and try to not make it so emotional every time. But um, you know, Eric, being a, a Redheaded guys, sometimes our tempers can get in the way, and it's a super competitive space. And uh, sometimes your emotions get the best of you, but it's really just more so about, like, hey, what? how's this going to go? Like, what? what's going to be the consistency here for the next hour of this basketball game? Because I'm a little bit confused. So I just try to, try to talk to him from that standpoint on, as it relates to me. Okay, Coach. Western Illinois comes in here on Saturday. They beat you by seven at their place January 4th. I mean, it's like a one-point game with two minutes to go in that particular game. Western Illinois, they're not a good rebounding team, Coach. They are an elite rebounding team. They will come into this game third in the country. There are 351 teams that play Division One basketball. They are third in the nation in rebounds per game. They are sixth in the nation in offensive rebounds per game 
and their center, Drew Cisse, is uh, 14th in the nation in block shots and is probably going to be the defensive player of the year in the OVC. You are not a highly ranked rebounding team. How much of a challenge is this going to be against the Leathernecks, who right now are in second place in the league their first year in the conference? That's it. It's going to be a huge, huge challenge for our guys, but I think our guys will be up for it. They've responded uh, well the last time when we did not do what we were supposed to do heading into the game uh, at their place, and then we responded in the second half and gave our chance to, to win a game. Like you said, who was in first place up until a week ago? So, our guys, second time around in league play, our assistant coaches do a great job with the scouting reports. So it's it's not going to be one of those games where if they come out here and get offensive, re- like they're going to rebound the basketball. That's what they do. That's what every team playing them goes in with the same kind of mentality. It's it's now a matter of getting it done. You know, quite frankly, there's really no uh, there's no secret. Sometimes there's no technique to blocking out. Sometimes you got to you just got to hit your guy and go get it. There's there's not a whole lot of talking. There's not a whole lot of uh, 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 scheme that can go into that. You you just got to be you got to want it more than than the other guy does at at, at some time. So uh, protecting the paint, getting rebounds, taking care of the basketball, bringing some juice, playing with joy. Again, second time around that you're playing in conference play. February basketball, like all the, the schematics, all the schemes, uh, it's all in place. It's now just a matter of going out and, and executing the way that you know how to do it consistently. You know, I think that's the, the main thing. And, uh, you know, they got a couple of three-point shooters, but what they want to do is back you down to the cup. They are going to be attacking the rim. Yeah, they're going to post you up. Uh, their guards post up. You know, say you mentioned, he doesn't do a whole lot of posting up. His stuff is a lot of... Offensive rebounds, dunks, lobs, transition, things of that nature. Uh, they don't have a true point guard, but what they do have is any one of their guys can post up at, in, at 15, 17 feet, which puts you in a real bind because where does your help come from? Um, you know, you leave, you come with your five men, at least say at the rim for an offensive rebound and an easy dunk, and then you got to drop in from the other uh, weak side wings, got to come in and, and try to leg press. So you got a, a Rob Martin, for instance, coming in on the weak side to get on the inside of Cissé. Well, that's not a very good decision to make you know that's not very logical not setting yourself up for a whole lot of success there so got to do a good job of keeping them out of their comfort spots from guards and post-ups which is an unusual way to play that's not traditional and uh, but it's what they do and it's how they're effective coach we appreciate the time and uh looking forward to a three game homestand it'll be a 345 <laughs> tip-off in the men's game on saturday against the leathernecks of Western Illinois. Hey, thanks for squeezing us in today, Coach. We appreciate it. We'll see you, uh, Jess and I, we'll see you at the Show Me Center Saturday. Yeah, and I'll just, I would just say, Eric, I don't, you know, you've been around me long enough now for four for four years or whatever it is, and I'm real, I'm genuine. I don't, I don't hide from anything. We're not where we're supposed to be at, um, record-wise as a program right now. Uh, but um, to the, the, the thought process that our program is broken or anything to that nature, I just want people to know I think that's pretty premature. I think that's immature. I think that's obtuse. Um, again, I'm not going to hide from the fact that we haven't produced the way that we needed to do from a win-loss column. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we've done some pretty good things here. We've shown some progress. We've got some pretty good kids. We're graduating guys. We're, we're going to continue to put a positive light on this university, not just men's basketball, but we need to continue to push a positive message about this university and southeast in the area and the region. Um, lick our wounds, get back up, and let's all push this thing together forward like we know how we can. Good stuff, Coach. Thank we- you, Coach, for being on. Enjoyed it. You got it, guys. Thank you. All right. That is the Red Hawks head coach, Brad Korn. If there's one thing I know in four years of being around Brad Korn, like he said, he's real. He's not going to hide from whatever it may be. And uh, good stuff by Coach Corn. Yeah, it is. Uh, he's a very intelligent guy, good interview, and I totally agree with what he said. Uh, the university, we, we're lucky. This town, I've said this several times, Eric, this town is lucky to have a Division One school right here in a small town and great facility and these teams at Southeast, I'm not talking just basketball, but uh, last decade have been very successful, even longer than that with baseball. So I uh, I, I totally agree with everything he said. I'll sit here and listen to most of it, but um, I, I enjoy his candor. 
All right, Jess, hello to the uh, lovely and talented Dawn Sean. She is one of our faithful listeners. Say hello to her today. She's got a day off, but uh, I got to get out of here because uh, I got to go sit in the uh, Bennett family dentistry (laughs) dental chair, unfortunately for me. Do you have a final thought I'd like to say we're thinking about you today, but I really won't be. Yeah. Um, And I want to say hi to my family, my kids. Uh, Shell's sitting right beside me. And uh, Shell, did you enjoy the show? I did. It was a very great show today. Thank you very much. Uh, and she can lie with a straight face, too. I mean, yeah. with a straight face. Well, I hate to say this, but she did uh, learn that from me. You know, the straight face sarcasm. Yeah. But uh, I, Saturday night's going to be the big day for us. After the doubleheader for Southeast, you know, we got the whole family going to be together and everything. So that's going to be a great thing. Uh, I want to say hi to my little sister, Neva. She listens to the show every day. She's got, uh, if she can't get it on the radio, she goes out and listens it in the car. So she's always a faithful listener. So I appreciate that. I'm going to leave you with this one today. Oh, wait a minute. I hope Dawn Sean heard me sing because she requested before. I hope to God she was sleeping. That she requested me to sing that song. <laughs> that song specifically. So I'll, that, I'll, I'll report back to you tomorrow. About yeah, it. that was yeah. kind of for her, too. How about this one? Never regret. Anything that made you laugh. That was written by Jess Bolin. You ever hear of him? Nicely played. <laughs> All right, Jess. Out of uh, here. We uh, run it back tomorrow? Sounds great. All right. That's the Hall of Famer. Stay tuned. Greeny is coming up. Hope you have a wonderful Thursday.